Well, you all, I've got a really, I've got a secret talent. And I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want to brag. But I'm really, really good at losing iPhones and breaking iPhones. You don't believe me, you can ask Megan. There's this one time we were driving to South Carolina and we stopped at this rest stop like, I don't know, it was maybe just a couple hours from her home. And uh, went to the bathroom, got back in the car, we started driving off and I turned to Megan, I was like, where's my phone? She's like, I don't know. Do you want me to call it? So I was like, yeah, call it. She called it, we couldn't hear anything. So I was like, do the find my iPhone thing, find my iPhone thing. So she got up on the app and she found my iPhone. It was back at the rest stop. So we like did a U-turn, we drove back to the rest stop, thought I had left it in the bathroom. Nope, I had left it on the top of my car. And so when I drove off, it fell off and somebody had driven right over it and I found it and it was like smashed in a ton of pieces. The most recent, I, that was, yeah, iPhone like number one. iPhone number two happened actually not too long ago. Do you know where uh, the salmon hole is? Salmon hole? I know Will does, right? He's a fisherman, right? It's just down the road here uh, on Riverside, like as you're going to uh, Winooski, right there on the left. Anyways, uh, I was fishing there uh, at the salmon hole, you know, casting, casting, but my fly got snagged on some stupid branch, like buried deep with un- uh, like under the water. I'm like yanking my rod, I can't get it out to save my life. So I'm like, all right. So I wade into the water, right, to go find this fly. Like I'm tracking the line, I find it. Like I'm reaching under the water, I find it. Like the fly, like I'm waist deep in the water. I find the fly, I untangle it, and I walk back to shore. And it's at that moment I realize I've left my iPhone in my pocket when I waded out to the water to get it. So... The joke around my house is that I ruined a $400 phone to get a $4 fly, uh, and it's not that funny. You know? You know, when I got both of those iPhones, uh, numbers one and two, uh, they were beautiful. Right? I don't know if you've ever, like, gotten an iPhone. Um, the box is, it's amazing, right? And the packaging is amazing, Right? And you pull it out, and it's sleek, and it's shiny. And man, those things looked great, and they worked great. But after my fiasco uh, at the salmon hole, my iPhone was not sleek uh, and shiny. It was pretty slippery uh, and slimy. It, it did not look great, uh, and it did not work great either. Uh, I, at first, I just couldn't send uh, or receive text messages but then the screen went fuzzy, uh, and then it just went blue, which was really kind of disconcerting, and then it just shut off, like, altogether. In a word, right, my iPhone was broken. It was broken. You know, most of us uh, would say um, that our world uh, is sort of like that, right, that our world uh, is broken, But in order to call something broken, uh, you need to have an idea of what it was like before the brokenness. You need to have an idea of what it was like when it was okay. My phone was broken because Steve Jobs designed it to work a particular way, and after the incident down at the salmon hole, it didn't work like that anymore, right? That was true of my iPhone. 
But what about our world? Like, how can we call it broken? In order to say that our world is broken, we need to believe that it too was designed by someone. All right, in this case, God. And we need to believe that it too was designed to function or work a particular way. You see, if there is no God, right, there is no design. And if there is no design, what are you comparing the world to when you call it evil, unjust, or unfair? What are you comparing it to when you call it broken? If there is no design, the world is not right, and the world is not wrong, right? It is just the way it is. And you and me, we are what we are. We are creatures here by accident, and violent ones at that. But in a godless universe, violence isn't bad. Violence is the name of the game. Right? The only rules are the rules of the jungle, might makes right, and survival of the fittest. As Dostoevsky said, if there is no God, everything is permitted. Right? Everything. Back in uh, 2011, uh, Terry Gross, uh, who has a radio show on NPR, right, she had this fascinating interview with Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan is the writer and the co-producer of the hit television show Breaking Bad. Has anyone seen Breaking Bad? A few, right? It's pretty hard to watch, but do you, maybe you know the premise, right? Uh, high school chem teacher becomes a meth-like dealer. And that's pretty much what the show is about. It sort of watches, instead of like a show where like you see somebody who becomes, who's bad become like really good, it kind of does the reverse. It's like somebody who's actually pretty good, and you're like, what would it look like to make someone really bad? And in this interview uh, with Terry Gross, Gilligan says, and I quote, if there's a larger lesson to breaking bad, it's that actions have consequences. I hate the idea of Idi Amin living in Saudi Arabia the last 25 years of his life says Gilligan. Idi Amin was a brutal African dictator um, who spent the last years of his life in a very posh hotel uh, in Saudi Arabia. I hate the idea of Idi Amin living in Saudi Arabia the last 25 years of his life. Gilligan continues, I can stand the thought that there's no heaven, but I don't know that I can't stand the thought that there's no hell because, you know, where's Hitler then? Where's Pol Pot? There's got to be some sort of payback. And I'm not saying that there is, but we tend to want to believe that there is. Gilligan, who in this interview lets on that he, is, he grew up Catholic, he's not a Catholic anymore, he's agnostic, he's atheistic. Right? What he is saying is that there is no such thing as justice. But the thought of that makes him sick to his stomach. So he just wants to pretend that there is. There isn't any. There's no God. There's no design. There's no judge. There's no justice. But the thought of that makes me sick. And so I'm just going to pretend, right, that there is. I'm reminded of the song uh, Time to Pretend uh, by MGMT. You all know this song. I mean, it was like the hit song in 2008, like when it came out. I mean, it hit like every top 10 
bike list imaginable. I'm going to read you just a few of these lyrics, but I want you to imagine like them blasting from car stereos and people dancing to this song in clubs because they were. Okay, just listen. I'm feeling rough, I'm feeling raw, I'm in the prime of my life. Let's make some music, make some money, find some models for wives. I'll move to Paris, shoot some heroin, and F with the stars. You man the island and the cocaine and the elegant cars. This is our decision to live fast and die young. We've got the vision, now let's have some fun. Yeah, it's overwhelming, but what else can we do? Get jobs in offices and wake up for the morning commute. There's a part in this song where it sort of like mourns the loss of innocence and it continues. But there's really nothing, nothing we can do. Love must be forgotten. Life can always start up anew. The models will have children. We'll get a divorce. We'll find some more models. Everything must run its course. We'll choke on our vomit, and that will be the end. We were fated to pretend. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know this song? You know when you're driving down the road and you're like listening to the radio and all of a sudden like another frequency starts like crackling and like interrupting yours? The song that you were listening to, it's still there. But now there's like this voice that is like breaking in from like the background. That in effect is like what's happening right this minute. You've got all these voices talking to you and singing to you. It's meaningless. It's absurd. Do whatever the heck you want, right? But now there's this new voice that's like breaking in through the frequency. And that voice is saying, you need to listen to me. You are not fated to pretend. You woke up in God's world today. And the reason that you see and feel goodness and beauty in this life is because God made an originally good and beautiful universe, and that has not been obliterated by the fall. But the reason that you also see and feel and experience sorrow and breakdown and decay is because that same world has been broken by sin. The world that you live in is beautiful, but it is broken. But it's not always going to be this way. I want you to hear how Peter puts this. He says, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, it's going to be judgment day. It's going to be his day, right? The day of the Lord. And everything wrong will be made right. I promise you this is going to happen. I promise you because he promises us, right? There is going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, right? The word there can also be translated justice. A new heavens and a new earth where justice dwells. This is what this passage is all about. God setting the world to rights. And I just want to focus on two things. Right? It's a lengthy introduction. I want to focus on two things. Right? What is God doing? What is God going to do? 
And secondly, what must we do? Okay, what is God going to do, uh, and what must we do? If you look uh, at this passage, um, I can't throw it all up uh, on here at the same time, so these are helpful, right? But if you look at this section of Peter's letter, what he is saying is that the Jesus who met him by the Sea of Galilee, right, the Jesus who he saw transfigured on a mountaintop with James and John, the Jesus he saw crucified, right, nailed to a cross and then put into a tomb, the Jesus he saw resurrected three days later. And the same Jesus he saw lifted into the sky and disappear behind a cloud. Right? This very Jesus, this same one, is going to come back to earth. And he's going to judge it someday. And when he returns, it's going to be not game over so much as like restart. The world is broken now, but someday, and in God's timing, someday soon, it will be fixed. The world is going to be repaired. It is going to be restored. It is going to be renewed. And when Jesus comes back, he is going to get rid of evil once and for all, and he's going to usher in a new kingdom where there's no more tears. There is no more suffering. There is no more injustice. It's going to be a new heavens on a new earth where peace and justice and righteousness, what the Hebrews would call shalom, right? The conditions for human flourishing, right? Will reign forever and ever. I know for some of you, this is hard to believe. Like it's hard enough to believe that God became a human being It's hard enough to believe that God was crucified and was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. And the whole idea of him coming back, it's just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, I know. It sounds strange. And some of you are leery to believe it because you've heard a lot of strange teachings on it. I get it, right? But if we can, like, leave some of that just on the shelf for a second. Like, I don't want to throw the baby out with bathwater, right? Like, I... I know there's some weird things and like we could always grab coffee and we could talk, hash some of that out. But Peter is being very clear. Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the world. He is going to make everything wrong right. But some aren't just leery of this teaching. They're just downright dismissive. Look at verse 3. Okay, In the last days, scoffers are going to come. Scoffers with their scoffing, right? They're mocking, they're being derisive uh, of Christianity, saying, where's the promise of his coming, right? In other words, there's no God. He's not coming. Like, he's not coming back. There's not going to be a judgment day. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And their minds case closed, right? It's always the same. People just live and die and whatever. Peter says in the next verse, in verse 5, that when people deny the truth uh, about Judgment Day, their problem isn't with Judgment Day per se. It's actually a problem uh, with the doctrine of creation. Look what he says. 
They deliberately overlooked this fact. He that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. Right, etc., etc., to the end of that passage. Do you all remember, like, the water bottle uh, illustration we had, uh, I gave uh, in Bible study uh, a couple weeks back? Um, we can imagine, right, this water bottle uh, as the universe. Okay, just play along with me. Okay, this water bottle is the universe. Now, before this existed, like before the uni- like the universe existed, God existed. Right, there was the space called heaven where God existed, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there was some point in time where Father, Son, and Spirit decided, let's make other creatures so that they can participate in the love that we have always known. Well, that's a great idea. So they said, like, let there be light. Like, let there be a universe. And all of a sudden, like, the universe came into existence. Now, the universe isn't God, and God isn't the universe, right? Um, those things are distinct. But God can certainly do things within, like, the universe, right? Like, even though he made it and he stands outside of it, it's his. He can, like, enter into it. Like, he can move things around. Like, he's free at any point to do stuff to this that he wants, right? And there's times where, he, like, he enters in and you're like, oh, there he is, like, Jesus, Right? There are other times where like, where is he, right? Well, he's not there, right? Like he's holding it, right? He's sustaining the universe, okay? This is the doctrine of creation. Once upon a time, there wasn't a universe. There was always God, but now, that there, now there is. And if you believe that, like if you believe that God spoke the universe into existence, it is entirely consistent, right, to say that God can do stuff to this. That if it's broken, he can fix it. Like, if it's a mess, he can enter in and resolve it. Like, it's not inconsistent to say, if you, believe, if you already grant that God created the universe, well, it's no stretch to say that he could judge it, right? That he could repair it uh, and restore it. It's what he's going to do, right? Um, I was chatting... The other day, not the other day, it was maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, we were having a laugh about just bad landlords, right? And um, sort of the state that your apartment is in when you have to move in. Um, Some of you are moving off campus, like June 1. Just beware. Like, (laughs) sometimes you move into places that wouldn't pass as clean, right? It was certainly the case for my friend, right? He moved in. There was trash, like, everywhere. Under the sink, like, old fast food, like, bags, like, fries that had just, like, gone moldy and just, like, Wendy's cups, like, half-drink Frosties or something like that. I mean, it was, it was horrible, right? Um, my friend wanted to move into this place, right? But it was filthy. Uh, it was messy, so when he moved in, like when he's like, that's where I want to live, and he like moved the stuff in, what do you think like the first order of business was? We're going to clean this up. God's not any different. God intends to move back to earth. 
And just like my friend wouldn't tolerate like just everybody's mess, like he's not going to either. Like he wants to clean the place up. He's going to get rid of evil. He's going to get rid of injustice. He's going to get rid of suffering. He's going to get rid of brokenness. It has no place in it, right? Like that stuff is gross. And it's not, he doesn't want it around. Well, this raises an important question and maybe uh, even an objection. You see it alluded to uh, in verses 8, 9, and 10. If God is going to come back and make everything wrong right again, what is he waiting for? Like, what is God waiting for? You know, every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, somebody is suffering. What is God waiting for? I want you to think about this. Approximately 3,287 people are sold into slavery every single day. Every 10 seconds, every 107 seconds, every 107 seconds, someone in America is sexually assaulted. Every 10 seconds, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a child on this planet dies of starvation. Every 10 seconds. There is so much hurt and so much pain on this planet. And it's fair to ask, does God see? Does God hear our cries? Does God care? And if he does, what's he waiting for? I want you to listen to what Peter writes uh, in verses 8 and 9. Okay? He says, don't, don't overlook this one fact, beloved. And as an aside, here we have that same address that you heard last week. Right? Beloved. In the midst of our suffering, we're not alone. Right? We're not forsaken. We are loved, and particularly, we are loved by God. So don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that the reason God is postponing judgment is not because he's ignorant. It's not because he's impotent. right? It's not because he doesn't care. The reason why God is postponing judgment is because he is merciful. He's merciful. God wants as many people as possible to reach repentance. 
and to be saved. And there are people, there are people he wants to spend eternity with that have not yet been born and they have not yet been saved. And God is not going to come back to earth and judge it until they are. That's what this is saying. I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered like why God allowed the Holocaust to happen? I mean, I have wondered that a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Like, why did God allow this to happen? In my submission, it's the worst thing that has ever happened on this planet. Right? Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he say enough is enough? Like, why didn't he come back and deal with it like right then and right there? Why? Well, like I told you, right? The reason, according to this passage, and others like it, you can write this down. Revelation 6, 9 to 11 says the same thing. Okay? Is that if God did that, if God came back in, let's say, 1945, Wei King would never have been born. Alicia would not exist. Rachel, Kendra, Virginia, Alan, everyone in this room, we wouldn't exist. And for that, and, and that for God would be a problem. It'd be a problem because God knows you, and God loves you, and God wants to spend eternity with you. And if God came in 1945, well, none of that would have been possible. You wouldn't exist. So why is God waiting? Well, quite literally, you. The answer is you. You are one of the reasons why God has postponed judgment. It is not because God is ignorant or uncaring. It is because he is merciful and forbearing. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise is some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I mean, that said, God is going to come back, and he is going to clean house. He is going to get rid of evil, suffering, injustice once and for all. Okay, there is going to be a day of judgment. There is going to be a day of justice. Right? But he's not going to bring that day until the number of saints is complete, until as many people as possible repent and are saved. All right, then. That's what God is going to do. What about us? Like, what are we supposed to do? And that's our second and final question. The answer to that question is found right there in verse 9. The reason that God is postponing judgment is because he wants us to repent uh, and to be saved. Okay, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. And because repentance and faith are absolutely necessary for your salvation, I want to be very, very, very clear as to what repentance means. Okay, repentance is not try harder. Repentance is not fix yourself. Repentance is, I can't fix myself. Like, I can't save myself. I need someone to do that for me. 
Right? I need Jesus. That's what repentance sounds like. Today uh, is the last day of class. And your final exams like start a couple of days from now. And since you've already got test taking uh, on your mind, let me use um, this as an example. Right? In order to get into heaven, in order to have a share uh, in heaven, you've got to take an entrance exam. And the gist of that exam is, have you loved God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength? And have you loved your neighbor uh, as yourself? And here's the deal. You need to ace this entrance exam in order to get into heaven. Like You need to ace it. A perfect 100. And anything less than that, I hate to tell you, you're not getting in. Okay? In this room... Some of you would do better than others, right? I'm not being mean. I'm just playing the odds, right? Some of you might get like a 65%. Some of you might get a 95%. Some of you might get like an 80%. It doesn't matter. The person who got to 95% is in the same boat as the person who gets a 5%, right? Both aren't 100, which is to say both fail. It doesn't matter whether you're a 95%er or a 5%er. Like, you're not in, You can take this test as much as you want and as many times as you want. Sort of like the SAT, right? You can try all you want, as many times as you want. Maybe, like, you get three tries, right? God is being even more gracious, right? Like, you can take this 3,000 billion times, right? Like, look, you're not going to get 100. You will never ace this exam. Doors are closed. But what if? What if God allowed someone to take the test for you? And what if that person was perfect? Like, what if that person aced it? What if that person succeeded in all of the places where you fail? It would be pretty awesome. But friends, that is exactly what God has done for you in Jesus. That is exactly what God has done for you. Friends, you have broken God's laws. You have failed at so many points and at so many levels. And I'm not saying that to be mean because, shoot, like, I have too. Like, we can be failures, right, together. But this is why, like, God sent His Son into the world. Not just to take the punishment that our sins deserve. It wasn't just that. He sent his son into the world as a human being to ace the test. And Jesus got a perfect 100. And he kept the law of God perfectly. And he did this for you and he did this for me so that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, his 100, it becomes our 100. When we say to God, judge me by my performance, you know, judge me by how well I kept the law, well, you're kind of, you're screwed. The doors are closed. But when you say to God, judge me by his performance, the doors swing wide open. Let me wrap this up. God is making, and he is going to make, 
a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness and justice dwells. And the question that you ought to ask is, is there any place for me in a place like that? Is there any room in heaven for a sinner like me? And there is. But you need to repent. You need to turn towards Jesus. You need to turn away from your efforts to save yourself and you need to turn towards the one who has come to save you. You don't want to be judged by your performance, but you do want to be judged by his because it is perfect. I've said a couple of times uh, this semester that what makes people a Christian, like what makes us Christians, is not whether we sin or not. Because we all do. Okay, what makes us Christian is what we do with it. Are you the kind of person who denies that you are a sinner? Do you deny it? Do you discredit it? Do you downplay it? Do you mask or hide it? Or do you admit it? Do you admit, yeah, I am. I am. And I can't stop. Do you repent? Like, do you turn towards Jesus looking for help? That's what makes you a Christian. We've learned so many things this semester walking with Peter. And if anything, if you, learned, if you have learned anything, right, I hope it's this, that repentance is a sweet thing. Like repentance is a sweet, sweet word. Because when Jesus calls us out, he's not calling you out to shame you. He's not calling you out to humiliate you. He's calling you out because he wants to be with you. Repentance means to turn around. It means to turn away from all of your efforts to save yourself and to turn towards Jesus. Come, follow me. I can clean you. I can heal you. I can make you well. I've aced the test for you. It's right here. Take it. Come with me. Let's go. Turn around. Follow me. Repentance is so sweet. Will you do that? Before you go for this summer, will you repent? My hope and prayer is that you will. Let's pray.